0: Welcome to you all, welcome to our uh, first lecture in this year's lecture series, which we've now done three times, five years apart, and now two years together, so because we're Anglicans, that means it's a tradition, and we're going to do it all the time, forever. So welcome to you all, that's mocking our tradition. uh, welcome. I welcome Archbishop David in a moment, just um, some curses. Uh, if you've a cell phone, now's a good time to put it on silent. Uh, if you need to use the facility, they are back down the hallway, Driving across the lounge, <coughs> put up the and put out the signs that say toilet. You end up in a hall, you're in the wrong place. The next door alleyway past that. Um, if there's a fire, we gather down in the um, car park there's a tsunami, we're okay. So, I think that's all the compensation stuff I have to do. Um, hopefully, when you came in, you got one of these and one of these. Did anyone not get one of these and one of these? If you put your hand up now, somebody will come around and give you one. Oh, over there. Oh, yeah. So my name is John Hebenton. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the vicar here in Mufti. I'm not wearing all the black like some of my colleagues are. That, um, welcome to this sacred place, uh, the Church of St George, built on the battle site of Pakana or Uh We hold the story of this place as a treasure, as a Tonga, uh, and it is something that we need to keep telling the story of and the aftermath of that uh, and what that means for us as a city today. So we're very pleased to have uh, Archbishop David with us. So I've known David for a long time and uh, here's one of my predecessors here many, many years ago. So he was uh, one or how many children were baptized here? Two. Two children were baptized here, and I have the video of one of those occasions. It was a grand affair, full of Franciscan friars and <laughs> incense. Uh, and then they went down and blessed this Francis shelter after the service. So it was a grand occasion, from what I saw on the video. Uh, so it's good to have you back. Uh, this is David's one place where he was a vicar, so uh, it's good to have you home. Uh, you're always welcome to come and join us here. Um, but the first time I think I met him was when he was working for his next job which was kind of education, theological education by extension and he was teaching some of us youth workers creative ways of doing theological reflection and the thing I remember about that was he took us out for lunch (laughs) no one had ever taken (coughs) me from the church out for lunch before it blew my mind wow at that point, I was working on a pretty limited site, there, so have out for the huge streets. Uh, David has gone on from there to be uh, Bishop of Waikato and then Bishop of Waikato and Paharaki, um, and then became Archbishop for the Tīkanga for our church, and so it was part of the triumvirate that is the Primacy. So, represented our church in many occasions overseas, uh, and uh, more recently. And I wish I could have got the photo up here. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury's representative in Rome uh, and so there is a beautiful photograph of him and Pope Francis about to hug, actually a copy that is in our uh, little room where we get changed. So just to remind us where you can go if you stay in this parish <laughs> <laughs> all the way to Rome. <laughs> uh, his wife Toreiti uh, has been a significant figure in, for Tainui and Waikato as well. Uh, and they've made a formidable partnership, uh, both in the secular and religious world, realm, you could say, uh, and uh, Archbishop David was recognised with a knighthood a few years ago, so he's really the most reverent Sir David, but David was nice. Will it? yeah. So it's really nice to have you speak. Um, since he's been back, Archbishop Philip, who took over from his as one of the Archbishop asked him to do this particular piece of work, which David is very suited to do, not only does he know Joel Parker, our world and our team and how we do things, but with today he is uh, immersed in Joe Mali. In his farm, he is mocked a little bit for his role, which for the rest of us Parker is amazing about like he's pretty fluent. Uh, he puts the rest of us to shame, but they mock him a little bit at this level. Which means when he engages in those conversations, uh, a lot of the things that get in the way aren't in the way because he's already got a foot in both worlds and he understands how those worlds work. So he was the right man at the right time for that particularly tricky piece of work. So uh, it's great to have you here, David, just to tell us about that. Uh, it's nice to have you back home, uh, and we look forward to... Um, what you have to say? It's a, lots more about the story, and while he was here, was involved in a few protests and things. So I think he might want to speak about that, or not, as the case may be. The structure of tonight is we'll go for about 55 minutes, have a little break, uh, glass of water, there are some pipelets, there's not many, so first out there, first out, and, uh, and then there'll be, my we'll David Sanders, so depending on how long he talks for, there may be hopefully time for questions and discussion at the end.
1: So i to in the first place. Kupukuluri atiao the tegatsua. Ki runa arawa. Ki runa penua. Ki runa tira to Mahayas and peace to the most people my Maori fenua, from the Te Noa, from the Te Noa, from the to the Maori people of to the first people who lived in this beautiful part of the world, thinking of Tahu and Ngāti but also Te Noa for the whole Taranaki area and the Bay of Plenty, I pay my highest respects. To those who've gone before us, who found a greater light, may they rest in peace. May they rest in peace. May they rest in peace. And of course, tonight, I can think of Mike Moore who died today. the moment, home. We think of the brave ones who fought here on this hill. the Battle of Gate Park, and Delight. Tama toa Māori, we the people from both our families who dies and conflicts here. We remember them, we remember them, we remember them. <coughs> <laughs> te fire, we're uh, te fire, we're in the skirikon, 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 we're in the Te <laughs> rangatira ranga te 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 the <laughs> who was the heroine of the Battle of Gate Bar, exactly where you were sitting. And you know, she followed the example of the Epistle to the Romans and moved out to give water to their enemies, if your enemy firsts, given mm. the well, stained glass window. commemorates her doing exactly that. <laughs> We have the honour tonight of Andy Takurikawa and his grandson, sitting here on my satsang front row. What an an honour to think of the heroine saint of this hill with living descendants, a grandson Mm who (laughs) knew (laughs) him. Your whole family, our highest respects and greetings. Well, friends, it's uh, wonderful to be here on this particular spot and talk about this particular challenge, which is an invitation to all New Zealanders, to everybody in these islands, to think about redeeming the past and looking to a restorative justice future. In this particular place, exactly where you're sitting, and in this particular town, in this particular little peninsula, not so little really, one of those beautiful parts of the world, we have the privilege of praying and thinking and acting together to bring in a measure of justice, a measure of new creation. In the name of God, and in the name of his services of righteousness and justice and I want to acknowledge Shekhoina who has representatives here this evening a Christian group of people in Tehran drawn from the body of Christ over a 25 year period who prayed for an apology, who prayed for tribal settlements, who prayed for restorative justice, particularly over church land and Dr. Alistair Rees devoted so much of his doctoral thesis to Nagos Linyar, which is the Tebapa Mission Lands, which is the subject of tonight's discussions. Uh, And that Tokohima group hoped and prayed that one day we would all rally in solidarity around this cause and act restoratively for the purposes of reconciliation, for the purposes of healing, for the purposes of coming closer together in the end, which is God's world for us all. So what I'm going to do is take us for a walk through what happened by pictures and the reasons for the pictures, and stop at any time if you want to point a clarification about the story as I tell it. And then when I finish, we'll have a walk through the documents you have which is a bit more technical, but which is a full record of the Church's own recognition and the Church's own willingness to be part of a new future. So we first of all, these slides then the text of settlement, if you will, and then we'll have a quick break, plus the water, pipe, something, something, and then some free flowing discussion. See how we go there. that. But do stop me if you want to clarify something as I'm going along in the meantime. Well, um, why would we apologise? Let's start from the beginning. We wanted to recognise a process here in Toronto that would lead us from the original, original trust the original friendship, the original phenomena, family feeling, that did exist between the missionaries, the early Anglican mission, at the Alms, and the Maori community who were living here. As you know, it was a time of trust. Uh, Alfred Mister Brown, Charlotte Brown, to begin with, she was one of the finest teachers in this country, trained at a very high degree in England, see her in her. And the school they started at what is now called the Ellens, and the mission that they offered was, I suppose, about what? Four or five percent of the people with Hakaha, mission-connected people, 97% of the people were married. And there was this relationship of trust, which was well deserved both ways. It was a win win mission. It wasn't perfect, but it was good. It began very well. And it led to, eventually, through forces much greater than the mission, that the mission was caught up in those forces it led to dispossession of the land on your little uh, sheet, <clears throat> which ends here, at gate Park, all the way from route to gate Park here. This was called, as you know, gate path, because the gate in the fence just here marked the end of the mission lands that had been acquired. And they agreed not to fight on mission land. So the battle of gate path, it was sport directly off mission land because they didn't want to touch uh, the land the missionaries had deployed <coughs> the loss of this land for the battle of Then, which was mission land then a move today From repentance, a recognition that we need to be responsible for (coughs) what happened in as much as we can, to hope, to a new sense of October New Zealand as partners, as people committed to justice and peace. So that's essentially the theme of tonight. It's a positive theme, and I'm going to argue this evening, Uh, by the end of my 55 minutes that because God is loved and because we are called to pursue justice and peace in God's name the outcome, God willing of this quest from repentance to hope may turn out to be one of the best things that ever happened. See if I can convince you of that by uh we we'll So I'm going to start with the only authority I have to talk about this at all, and that is I'm an Anglican, and this is intimately connected with Anglican story, Anglican <coughs> <Beginning>, Anglican <coughs> arrival, and Anglican beginning, and Anglican revival, and Anglican settlement. That's the only authority I have to even talk about this at all and the Anglican Church has asked me to try to facilitate some of the processes that will be involved in our thing. So I'm going to start with the Anglican start, and that is 1814, Christmas Day, Boihe Bay, in the Hova Pi area, north of Pioneer. And you all know the story, probably. Um, a Maori chief called Ruatara had been traveling the world, particularly the Pacific, the Chiamia area, on boats. He was the chief of the area north of here, And he uh, got sick, and then he was also very badly treated by one of the ship's captains, who dumped him off at Parramatta, near Sydney, in 1813. And Elizabeth Marston. Married to Samuel Marsden, nursed came back to health in a two or three month period in the Marsden's <coughs> room at Parramatta, Samuel Marsden had an interesting life. I won't go into that. Uh, any Australians here? <laughs> he had an interesting life. Um, he was a magistrate, and he was a parson, and he was a prison chaplain. You can imagine how interesting that was. He befriended Ruatara and Elizabeth nursed Ruatara in their home and in the course of their conversation as you do. They talked about everything. And Ruitara came to trust Elizabeth and Samuel. And out of the conversation he said to them we've had a bad experience with European ships, as for the boy. He himself had come to have a dim view of European ships. And we're not sure whether we want European arrivals in Ontario. We're not sure. But if we carefully negotiate the terms, if we think about what we are going to do and plan it properly, it might work. And what they agreed on, these three people, was this. That Marston would be welcomed and invited to Oiki Bay for Christmas Day, 1814, and he would be given a portrait. and his sermon would be translated. The first Christian official sermon we you know of on the soil of these islands. Quoted from Luke's Gospel as he you know? The whole I bring you timings approach, which was translated. The second thing they agreed was that part of the deal would be everything else that the missionaries were good at that would be well and use. And now we're talking about a small group of Europeans coming into a 95% Maori community in the beautiful Bay of Islands. And so what they wanted to come with us, and which he and Elizabeth were very happy to bring, was some of the tools that go with European horticulture and agriculture. And some of the technology they were very good here already in growing, of course, had done that for centuries. But they did think some of the tools a cow, for example, a cow, for example, books. Uh, they were quite interested in, in little kids' toys, which they dug one up 10 years ago, when we um, and they said, all right. Now, the, the London Missionary Society and then later the Church Missionary Society were good at this. They were good at oh, holistic mission, and they, they recognised how it could work. And they also said they would bring some medicine that wasn't available in Ontario at the time. Remember Rotara had been healed to some extent by this. This is of course before um, some of the diseases that came, although they were just beginning to arrive from some of the whaling community. So this happened. And it's a famous iconic scene that you know New Zealand stands. It's the birth of the beginnings of the partnerships that led to after on New Zealand at all. And I would hesitate to say that if you think about that arrival, that welcome, that trust, and that interdependence, it's not a bad beginning. Uh, if you talk to people like Michael um some feel that it led to some terrible things, which in some cases it did. But at the time, it was prayed into, it was tried to be as careful as it could be, and it was a balance. More or less of them as they read. a balance A win win was intended. And so, when Marsden said these words, Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to you and all people, for unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And that was translated into Māori by a colleague The reply from the Māori community, who did a hock up to solutory speech, uh, was, what does he really mean? And Ruotala said to them in Maori, you won't understand what he is trying to say right now, but we will come to appreciate it, we will come to understand it in time, which meant they would talk about it and would reflect on it, and they would examine it. And again, that wasn't a bad exchange, that was careful and considered. That led to missions spreading. From 1814, Marston made nice a number of visits, as you know. He was never harmed, he was welcomed, he was taken extremely seriously, and he has a better reputation in these islands than in Aramata. the mission that the London Missionary Society and the Church Missionary Society started, which has its roots in Oligi Bay, Christmas Day in came to Tora came to this harbor. And this is a print, you may recognize it, of a waka towa, a large canoe on the Tora Mahama in the early 19th century or towards the mid-19th century. This is actually turun itself and a walk-up of the uh, Turun-Mawana peoples, and again the 99% Maori community running their own affairs. And it was into this situation that Alfred and Mesut Brown, Alfred Nisbet and Charlotte Brown came. This is a famous painting, you probably recognize it, by a European a um, man who belonged to the military. Uh, you can see... I'll just go back on. It's Brown's Mission transmission station, but well, I'll go back. I think just jumping ahead a bit. Okay. There we go. That's Malwell, the mount, and Motopihi, uh and that business there. And you can see that one or two Europeans happily side-by-side living alongside a large Hebrew community. And it was into this situation that the missionaries planted their school and all the kinds of things that Marsden and Ruatara had talked, Elizabeth had talked about. And Charlotte, in my view, this is my own opinion, just from reading the early documents, Charlotte was the key to the initial credibility. Because of her literacy, educational and catechetical Skills. And they were using Luke's Gospel in Māori, the first Gospel to be translated into Māori, the first written Māori at all. And you can imagine the fascination of the community in seeing their own real relatives, their, their language, their dignity and heritage being written down in a book. And she was responsible for that. she um been doing it at Wakaroa, Miyamata and they came over here. There'd been an earlier missionary presence here, a few years before, but it was the Charlotte and Alfred Conway that was the real plant that endured. And this was the context they did. Now, you just saw a moment ago the. i going to do Here we go. I may jump ahead because I did. That's what it looked like, and you can see the reclaimed land now is taken. Where all that water is, where those canoes are, is now industrial harbourage. But the cliffs leading up to the Elms is like that. And Brown, very interesting, he puts in a very beautiful library. Have you you all seen it? Have you been to the Elms? It's an extraordinary library. Quite rare, for a at the time. He carefully brought in books that would keep his own head engaged, but also the best, he thought, of literature that would be useful in a new mission. And he put it in that house on the top of the building. And you can see that this picture is trying to tell you that the Torangomana community, Te Alamo, or the beautiful harbor communities, were regular visitors and willingly so. That's designed, I think that is the truth. It was a very interesting, as it had been with Marcel and Rosa. And here's a quick look at him uh, and the odds today, much the same as it is now, as it was then, being oddly really restored, and uh, we'll get to what happened to it a month ago in a minute. But there it is. And He was not a pompous man, he was not overambitious, he wasn't interested in acquiring heaps of land everywhere for himself. He was passionately interested in the success of the mission. And he turned down a bishop, for example. Uh, He did not acquire much, much more land than he really needed to survive. And he um, suffered. His son died, uh, his wife died. Uh, he, in the end, uh, became quite depressed towards the end of his life. But he abided in the land, and he planted and he stayed. And we have this extraordinary heritage today from those early years. I'm delighted that the Arms Trust and the City Council appear to have a kind of one win win agreement that will keep this heritage as it was in the beginning with Maori uh, oversight which it was in the beginning they helped build his first local church he stayed in while this was being built they provided food they had the Mauna rights of protection participation and so on and I'm delighted that this is more respect to where it wants There you go. Now, this is Charlotte, slightly smaller picture, but I had a lovely moment the other day with. Who's a direct descendant of one of Charlotte's pupils? Mm-hmm. In Māhara. in Matamata, he's the paramount chief of Mahatikara, direct descendant of William whom she taught when she was in Waharoa before she came to Torah. And he took one look at that portrait of Charlotte Brown, his great, great, great grandmother's teacher. And he said, No wonder my two to learned to read quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she was exceptional, and she was exceptional in England as well, before she came. This is a, a, a very early photo of some aspects of the mission station, uh, and some of the schooling had a things thing, Now, um, Brown decided to buy this, which you're holding on to, for the Central Missions Land Board of the Church Missionary Society in England. And that looks, if you look at it, everything from on up to about to here, looks like a bit much. Why did he go so big? And he had three reasons why he wanted to go back. One was he was interested in in farming, wanted a scope for that. But he also wanted to preserve a large piece of the peninsula for posterity, for Christian development, Christian community. And in particular, he didn't want a little settlement growing. With brothels and drunkenness, which have been happening in quite a year. I don't know if you hear the story of Russell up there in the Netherlands, the hellhole of the city. And unfortunately, when you're away from home and you know not get home and you have a rough life at sea and you've been at sea for months at a time, your behavior isn't necessarily everything it should be when you get to port and that he thought would happen here <coughs> from the European ships and from the whaling uh, community it certainly did happen in Russell and uh, that was very disturbing Graham thought this can be different I will make sure from willing sellers that I will hold the land in trust <coughs> <coughs> for this mission And its influence and its uh, fullness of life, its abundance, its, he would say, righteousness, a righteous community. And he did believe that in receiving the land, he was holding it in good faith for this purpose. He wasn't thinking, this is Arthur Brown's land. He certainly wasn't thinking, I will subdivide it to people I don't know. He wasn't thinking it would be lost. We know this from his own letters. He thought it was Naboth's vineyard, and this is the word he used from the Second Book of Kings. Naboth's vineyard, which means that I must not lose this for the reason it was given to me by a simple transaction. We call it kachuku Kahoko. I pay you, I mean, it's not, nothing like what the land is worth, but I pay you something, so you can use it for the purpose I the seller think is good for me, Thank you? use it in good faith I'm letting you have it, a small consideration, providing you a good skill, provided you because this is a huge amount of my land which I now give to you to deploy for the reasons I give it to you by a small token. It's very important we get this because the kātuku kahokor, giving and pain, is a balance between giving and pain. It's not just pain. If you take karhokor by itself without kātuku you are buying something which becomes yours forever to do what you like. The sellers were kātuku kahokko, which means I'm giving it to you for the thriving of the gospel, for the thriving of Christian resource agriculture, horticulture, settlement, medicine, education, the development and thriving abundant life of my people. And we know from Katoopahoko records all over New Zealand, if you stop doing it for that, think it's your own and subdivide it in cells it's not the terms of the original deal. So, under United Nations human rights laws, yes. for example, uh, and major laws all over the world, indigenous community rights, you do have to honour the intention of the original deal, particularly if it's a large piece of land. And so Brown thought to himself, um, no also on Held in good faith. You, you've seen in the paper and in Toronto debates over was it held in trust? Was it a trust? And that's um, an interesting argument, and we may play with it after a glass of water But what it really means, means in good faith. And for Brown, that was literal. He meant the faith of Jesus Christ, he meant faith in God good faith of righteousness and justice. Whether he signed a contemporary trust deed is not, according to the United Nations, the point. So, um, but he did write and there our documents describing what I described. This was it, and it was huge. It's what you're living on now. And it eventually, led to the Battle of Delhi Park, where you are sit. Because, as you know better than I do, um, Governor Gray and General Cameron were on a mission to try to create settlements partly post-military settlements, partly commercial enterprises, and when they came up against what they thought was an owner or a tribe who weren't interested in cooperating and seemed to them to be stopping the colonial process of particularly the New Zealand Land Company and its efforts to acquire land, they decided it would justify a form of invasion. In the case of crossing the Aitaka from Auckland down to Waikato, they said that the arrival of the Maori King, anointed by one of Charlotte Brown's pupils, mm-hmm. was rebellion and treason against the Crown. Mm-hmm. And they therefore had a right to move in with a military invasion. History is now to the Tribunal said that's an unhelpful way of understanding what was at stake and there would have been three or four other ways of working that through, which wouldn't have So in the case of Taurana, a similar, similar thing happened where, as you know, Naitorongi, only, one of the groups in this piece of land, and beyond, decided that the king movement in Hamilton, Kiri Kiriroa, what is now true on the Waiwai, and so on, all through there, was helpful because it was designed to protect Māori mother, Māori land, Māori language, and to kind of provide a, a defence against too much settlement and too much loss of land. When Mutoyama, the guy who thought of it, shall I pronounce it before, using the book of Deuteronomy that she had taught him, said, we need the Bible to sort this out. And what I want, he said, is a Solomonic, king, as recorded, or an Israeli type of Judean king, anointed by God, who will reign with righteousness and justice. And he can look Queen Victoria in the eye, and surely Queen Victoria has a baptised Christian reading the same book of Deuteronomy, taught by someone similar to Shavakam, a nanny and a jitter. they could work it out. It was a Christian book. It was a biblical idea and it was a prayerful, serious proposition. <clears throat> when a Mithraimah in an first King wasn't thinking, we will push the Barker into the sea. We will burn Auckland and we will kill all the Barker. That was not on his mind, it's nowhere in his writings. And they were the most prolific writings of the 19th century, taught to write, write by Charles and Alfred. If you go to Alfred's library today, look carefully on the left-hand wall, and you'll see William Rutaniana's portrait that Alfred published. Still there in it was bold, it was high-minded, it was prayerful, it was beautiful, it was biblical, and what they wanted was a win-win. Now that takes you back to the real time, and it takes you to Charlotte and Luna, it takes you to a lot of other, those early, reasonably good, good enough partnerships. Much more complicated, of course, politically, and because the tribes here in Toronto thought the King movement based on the book of Jeremiah, was a good idea remember they'd been taught by Charlotte as well from Luke's Gospel and had read by them the Bible as a whole and, and on this mission station they saw their language, their land and their manner at stake and they wanted to appeal to Queen Victoria, King to Queen for a kind of win-win now, General, Governor Gray did not like this at all, and he thought it was too complicated and essentially treason, and he believed, quite generally, that he ought to step it out. He couldn't see it with him. And he thought Auckland would be massacred and brutalized. We now know from careful reading of the history of the Waitangi Tribunal settlements for Waikato that there wasn't a serious Maori strategy to raise Auckland to the ground. One or two people said this, but there was no intended strategy. But it was hooked up a bit to justify invasion. That's formal Waitangi Tribunal findings of our government with the Waitangi elements of the signing between Jemalaja and the Maori Queen over this exact matter and Douglas Crane. So, Torah, they said, we will support this King movement. And bear in mind the mission history. And you had people here, where we were sitting, who were students of the Bible, in particular, Henali and any Tikiri whose grandson sitting here this evening. Taught to read the Epistle to the Romans by people like. Governor Brown and all their successors, Henare Pulu came and to the defence here at the national Gate Park because of the invasion from Governor Grey over the King over their solidarity with the King and also the station of the Taranaki right dispute. The feeling was with Henare Pulu he was going to be ordained a priest by Bishop Selman. So. He was at St. John's College, probably with with your grandma. And he was learning the Bible. And he believed the Book of Deuteronomy. He believed in a God anointed king. He believed in the Christians could sort this out. Maybe. But it became obvious they couldn't, and war broke out. General Cannon on the right uh, arrived. A man, by the way, who later became very concerned with what he'd been asked to do. Who later retired, regretting some of his maneuvers. A Scot, who remembered the Battle of Column and the clearances. So... However, at this time it was all wrong. and there's the Gray at the top right and on the right, on the left, Radhury Pudivaki, Chair of the Automaton Trust today has a similar name. Defender the landscape. And you are familiar with the port, I'm sure you have one I have down the park, you'll hear them. I'm not going to the story it's portrayed down here behind me now. And it's an extraordinary story in many ways. The engineering is interesting moment. In taught the Light infantry and other British military units how to use trenches. There's no Maori defendants use trenches here. The bigger the bomb, the bigger the trench. That was their thesis. And as you know, it worked. But this battle has this one extraordinary characteristic which fits with everything else I've been saying. And that is a woman who studied the Bible and didn't want all. And wanted something much bigger. And nevertheless felt she had to stay with the cause, which she believed was a just cause. decides to follow God never for in the worst possible circumstances, which is bloodshed. And she remembers the Epistle to the Romans, if you're in any drink." it's her hand on that font, right in the middle of this church, right now, holding a bowl of water, to Colonel Booth, with the Stein and this Her picture in the stand-up's window, very itching. And that's what transformed this battle into something the Christian community could weep over, but also remember and build on. That even when it gets down to death and defeat and disaster by the side, God's love may still be found in some shape or form. And that's why she's so important. There's no place on earth no hell that God cannot penetrate with his light or his love. And that's why she's so crucial. She ended up in the with her own day. So did Hannah William who taught the defendants here to use what later became called the Geneva Convention. He was actually using some missionary texts from a few years before as well, um, for use for both sides. If anyone's running away, don't chase them and kill them. Don't hurt innocent people who are standing by or get caught up. Respect your prisoners. Tend the dying, heal the wounded. These evil were written down in his handwriting. where He learned to write at St. John's College, then he shot, as you know, Red Tarana on the Sunday. Came and has a so you can see the reason I'm taking this amount of time to talk about the Christian dimension to the story is that when the Battle of Gekka was over, the land passed from Maori hands to the colonial government. which caused Archie and Brown a huge um, nightmare. you he went in Ali title with his flag? Notice the cross on the flag, he remained Christian. As indeed most of European history, as Christians on both sides. Agincourt, the Babylonian, the Polygonic Wars, Crimea. And there's Becht down behind them, Palisades. There we go, and here we are. Colonel Booth on the left, he needs to get a colonel on the right, and they clutch him at the giving water to win the British soldiers, while so the bullets were still flying <coughs> out on the middle of No Man's Land, and they get back across. Here we are, John Edmonton's car. And the left-hand side, <laughs> church, and these wonderful pothema, which include colonial soldiers. It's one of the lovely features of our capacity to remember what happened to both communities. There's a po in a lawyer's office in town with the Maori chiefs uh, who suffered during this process. The first figure is Brown, and the best, actually, Brown. Now, the topical for Brown was that he was the pastor of, my time not the or in particular, <coughs> like, the top of my title, for years. I trusted him, and with good, good, good reason. When this conflict emerged and power erupted, he noticed that the British army, the colonial troops, I should say, didn't have a military chapter. And if you appeal to an Anglican priest for Holy Communion, the Anglican priest cannot decline it unless you are excommunicated in some way. The priest is unable to decline someone who requests communion in good faith. And the officer corps are such Brown for priests. Kind of central community. He had them for dinner night before the scandal and bent the community. We will spend the rest of our lives discussing whether that was wise. It's understandable, but it caused the most huge loss of trust with the Maori community because these were the officers who led the charge the next day and they nearly all died except for the surgeon, where you are sitting, the last supper it's been called, and these tributes on the screen are to all of that, the battle and the death and so on, and the officers were of following orders, orders which the Waitangi Tribunal has now said were unfair, and Cameron later thought they were unfair on him as well. So, all the went from here to on throughout. And it became the subject of pressure from the colonial government because it looked ideal for a post-military settlement. It certainly isn't a wonderful castle. I lived here for seven years, it's close to paradise isn't it? the climate, the fertility of the soil, the beautiful harbour. Uh, it's just lovely. And the government, colonial government, thought we could grow a military settlement here and we've won the battle. So they took it and repositioned it if you like. And Brown, who owned the land from on the out to here, said, no, it's no awesome. God Read the second book of Kings. If you take someone's land unjustly without their permission, or steal it, or grab it, or some circumstances mean that they lose it unfairly, you will incur the wrath of God. And in the second book of Kings, that's exactly what happens to the person who steals the land. It's a warning against unjust banker. And not only Alfred Brown, but most of the CMS missionaries throughout New Zealand use this argument. We are not going to let you take it because it's in Australia. And he resisted for a long time. he actually resisted before the battle for some defective interest, growing pressure. Why don't you just sell it? To the crown or to interested buyers. And he he couldn't, and the reasons you know you can appreciate So he said no. But they kept coming at him, and they got to the accountant on the central CMS. My father's an accountant. Accountants a good people. But in this particular case, for perhaps reasons that, uh, in context, you can see what was happening, they said to the accountant, not to Brown, we can give you a good deal. And Brown was reluctant, we think, to exchange money for the whole world like that. So in the end, a moral error, and we would say biblical sin occurred, which is the land was healed up in exchange for one-fifth remaining of the mission as a way of surviving and continue to do what Brown believed he should do. But the other four-fifths, he yielded under enormous pressure. And we know, I think Dr. Ernst D'Reese, who's done most of the research in this area, um, think is, thinks it's possible. I don't want to question him, but I, I think it's possible. that Brown believed that it was going to be repositioned. Yes. Sorry, I missed it, but what did the accountant say to Brown? He said, you're not going to get another deal like this. It could, it, what he meant was it's going to be requisitioned, probably, which had just happened in the Popo by the way. I had to be part of that resolution some years ago. The, the colonial government took the entire land as a requisition. And we are fairly sure that the missionaries, the Supreme Missionary Board, first the accountant, but then some others, believed it would probably be requisitioned and the entire base would go. So he, I think he thought, I've got no choice, I'm back in the corner, um, and I will break the good faith because I have no choice. And you're, after we've had a little break, you can see the details in that regarding our approach now, um, in the future, but he, I think it's true to say he, he thought the Treaty of Waitangi and the Queen would be basically good for this country. And he accepted a lesser evil for yielding up this land in the hope that the treaty between, uh, his England, uh, and the Queen, he was Church of England, and she, Queen Victoria's governor of the Church of England, he probably thought, this isn't good. Uh, I will go with the lesser of two evils no mission, no land at all, or some mission, some land. And maybe the queen and the colonial government will make it better for the Maori community here. But that didn't happen. So he, 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 we now say, we understand Brown in this context. We think of him as a good person, but we believe objectively, from the time we try to look at the United Nations point of view and biblical point of view, it was an error. Could they have given it back to the driver? He could have, and we think with the, all the luxury in hindsight, he should have. It probably would have been lost, and he probably thought about this. He probably thought if I give it back, it will be taken even quicker. He, he probably did think that. Because they lost the Battle of Gempire. Well no they didn't. They won the Battle of path, kind of and lost it to Armand. Um, so after Tirana he he would have thought. What would we think, and you see this in the text, if he had the freedom to do it, and we're not sure he did, he could have consulted the chiefs who are still alive and said, What shall I do? With our land. Can't you cook What shall we do? And um, but that luxury or that freedom or that opportunity even may not have been there. But uh, we do think it was a mistake and we we think we should do something about it. Which is quite a complicated response which we'll get to after the, the break. But okay. oh, that's a good thank you for that. That's a really nice to stop for a moment. Any questions before we go to the break? Yes. Do do we have
0: absolutely actually, actually written thoughts or
1: words about the problem? Mostly. uh, uh, he wrote a very thorough his book I Have Planted is available but what I'm saying about it would probably be repositioned is not something he wrote down but it's certainly the only explanation for the accountant and the decision of the board because he resisted for so long and they put massive pressure on that (coughs) why change your mind suddenly Says we will never know what he actually thought that day. So I mean, think he probably felt he could trust. He, he, I think he, he knew it was tricky and complicated, but he thought, well, in Victoria, the treaty, um, which turned out not to be the case. But, um, so there's, there's an issue of justice, of unresolved reconciliation, breach of trust, which the church feels it can do something about it. And we have a hope and a prayer uh, that that ought to be attempted. All these years later, in a way which we think, God willing, uh, could turn out to be a remarkable outcome for someone. Let me tell you about that after the break. Mm -hmm. Let's have a little break and then... (laughs) being so patient with a long a long talk, but it's a long story. There's an emotional of course and um, the vineyards of the Lord, which is behind this entire challenge. There's the military settlement division of the and the post military town of Tauranga, division following the loss of the, what was called the Tupapa Mission lands, the lands that Brown received in good faith, we could say, quote, trust, um, quote, um, but it became subdivided. and what we now know is a central business district and suburbs all the way to, to here, and lost in the Brown purchased himself, was it, so sort of how many acres? 17. 17 acres which became the Elms, uh, as we know it today. And uh, he could have done what happened in one or two other places, and bought, easily bought, huge farm, or a vast baronial estate, but he didn't. And what he wanted was the mission station preserved for posterity, which it has been, and now has returned to its original Bicultural situation by a decision of the Taurang City Council some weeks ago. The Treaty of Waitangi, of course, is behind all this, and um, some of the land invasions, including here, are now regarded by the Waitangi I as mean, a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi. A Waitangi Treaty signed in 1840 about the Cape Park, 1864, so that's um, 14 years later, 24 years later, sorry, and it's a breach of the understandings and commitments. The treaty White Waitangi basically says you can buy land if the seller is willing and what we now know from the tribunals we're including the jury and the general from years ago uh, recently chairman of the Yonari council chair of the tribunal lay theologian in his own right um, that if you do a transaction in Maori terms you keep the relationship going as the two parties to the transaction so it's not only you might ask them if they'd like it back when you finished using it for the purpose they come to the whole field of it. You also have an ongoing relationship about the way it can be used to your mutual benefit, Both parties and breaches of invasion and disposition, of course, uh, are subject to late Italian claims, which not only not only did here. Apart from this land, there's a proper mission in They have done that. And they have a assembled. But the church is the key to this question, which is, simple as a subject in every Sunday, from here to there, in right any trigonal terms. Just us start to the last couple of slides, and then we'll take this out. Thank the Yotami Trust it is the tribal trust now, which is the current mungo tribunal recognized Maori authorities for the two tribes on your map. there a little bit of discussion about membership, but the Waitangi tribunal recognizes this trust as the right for Mono-Penora treaty partners in land loss for the Department Mission State. And this gets us to our end. But that's a lecture there of the General Synod of the Anglican Church, in New Plymouth, talking about what we've talked about this evening. And they wrote and passed this, which if you have. Let's have a look at it. I by step. Stop ask questions, which are, we can have a general discussion But First of all, an apology on item number one. Number two, 1,300 acres is the area on your map. The tribes who lost the relationship with the held trust, the held in good faith mission partnership lands. Maybal um, Senyard. You see there line four and the And the fact that he held and deployed the land in line with Maori hopes for a long time. Third line from the bottom, these other lands are finally and reluctantly yielded by the Church of Missionary Society central land war to the crowd under great pressure from the colonial government and following many expressions of consent in exchange for one fifth of the survey sections of it. Number four, turn over the page. You can see the reasons for this now. The Church is of the opinion that the pressure placed by the colonial government on the church and society Central landlord to yield it to other block in March 1866 was undue and inappropriate. And it meant that the obligations you normally have as a person who's using or has a deal over my land were not kept. Number five, this is a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi by the Crown and implicitly or implicitly the Church. But the reason for the land acquisition, the reason for the pressure, was the Crown's intention, which is a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi, which the Waitangi Tribunal has already recognised. That's crucial in terms of what I'm going to say. So it wasn't justified? Yes. justified. No, it wasn't justified uh, in terms of treaty agreements. And remember, Brown thought the Treaty of Waitangi was a good thing. Yeah. So did Bishop Selma. But they thought the Queen's um, mana would be the seat of justice over mistakes or disasters. Mm. Number six, uh, the church has, a long time ago, in 1987, supported an approach to the crown for all the land beyond this mission land that was lost. So, the only we have many more acres lost. And we in 87 I was there to um, say we thought that should be not that close to the fire tribute. And it was, and it has been upheld. Number seven, next page. There's the things I talked to you about, the the understandings of the gift, compared to the law of charities, contributing relationship between Roma and Germany, and this applies to the development missions land. Number 8 in 1997 we came a little bit back which is in fact uh, all that was left on that one fifth a much smaller part of the one fifth was left it was kind of sweet the street off, off, off. and um, we go back but it's very small compared to what we're actually talking about. But it was important we did that, and we did that in 1997. Bishop Vercoe, George Connor, who was bishop here, and Don Shaw, who is an Anglican minority representative here, negotiated it. Number nine, we want to do something about it. To get a measure of restorative action and reconciliation for the loss of the remaining one fifth minus that we get back and the loss of the land on the other. Number nine seems sorry. That we make this a matter of the whole church, New Zealand National Church, the century of the National Church will action this and I was us to the sort of the process with, from the church's point of view. So that's the text we agreed to, and we pass it unanimously. Here's a photo mm. of him passing it unanimously with Chief Judge Eddie Jury's advice. There he is. Saw him the other day about all this, and he's very positive. There's the General Assembly passing it. Unanimous words. After time of prayer. In the presence of the Autonomous Dhamma Trust. And some Te members nonetheless, the descendants of the people who can receive the land from. Were there? It was in front of them. Very emotional. So, what's going to happen now? Well, you can see there are two principles that are at stake from a Christian point of view. First of all, the church has to do something. Um, we were part of a process that now we recognise was wrong not by bad people, but by people who acted with the light they had, but were overtaken by circumstances and pressures and made a serious um, mistake. As one of the Anglican general synod who's on to said to me, I probably would have done the same thing under the circumstances, but it was wrong. So should the church. And secondly, what should the Crown do? Because the Crown was the reason the pressure came on the missionaries for so long and had one goal, which was a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi and which was, uh, by any standards, uh, a form of invasion or dispossession. So we would like to set an example by researching our own lands and resources to see what we can do to put on the table as a sign of reconciliation. Uh, This is not money from parishes. Parishes struggle all the time to break even and good faithful people like the people in this parish uh, give, tithe, there's all kinds of sacrificial giving people of good faith. We're talking about an approach to stewardship of church trusts that are parish budgets. Uh, stewardship of church land, say for example, if in the diocese of Waiapu they found land which was not being deployed currently or was running out of its use later to consider offering that into a Bhutia into a the justice we consider So in the first place, we should work on our own back Give what we can reasonably, without creating more injustice or more disposition. For example, the Mari imposterates shouldn't suffer either, because they live by a way of the Secondly, though, once we've looked at that, and we are looking at that now, the Bishop of and uh, the standing of the Diocese of promised that the owners the other day implicitly with this motion and a subsequent motion to do this very thing. It'll take them a while. My personal view is it will probably involve uh, educational trusts and land held by the church. Say so, for example a house section that's no longer used for a curate, or something like that I'm guessing secondly though once we've done that we believe that the pressure put on by the crown does need to be recognised as a breach of the principles of the treaty of writing by the crown and that because they said in the settlement with multi it's in the text. We put unfair pressure on to other lands, which to that effect is a lie in their document, accepted by the tribunal and accepted by the Crown already. We want to work with that sentence and say, we said this, we believe it's true. We want to act pretendably, and we think you should be very, very generous because the land lost, the, the huge disposition was colossal. But we're not doing this to be rich. we're not doing this because we feel guilty, we're doing this because we feel responsible. And we believe that if the aspirations of the Otanatana Trust, Torah tribes, was honoured. Let they know that the land from Ramana to here is unconcernsable. We'll be talking billions. And they know that. And they're citizens of us. They're Christians. What they want is a sign of restorative justice, and reconciliation is meaningful and significant. And so, you probably read this in the press, this all over the paper 18 months ago. They want a presence in Towa. They want a kind of cultural centre, a place to stand, 2 on a Now, you think about that. If that was funded by the parties I talked about, who knows, we might consider various avenues, yet to be finalised, we're just beginning to pray about this, you imagine a with a large, hospitable cultural centre. And all those ships coming off the mountains. Imagine the tourists that have been coming to the islands already, but in partnership with something much bigger, and Maori, Think of Pugachev, think of the great carving school in Russia. Think of education, skills training, hospitality, tourism, education, and then think: what would that do to the central business district? It could be very good. So the goal of this is to meet the needs and state objectives of the tribes. What do they regard as a just outcome, and knowing that uh, we are all heavily burdened for the cost of history? And billions and billions and billions and billions is another question. What would do it as a sign of hope and a new tomorrow? And the original good faith and trust that the missionaries enjoyed, what would it look like? Well it would look like the arms this week. It would look like the cultural center. It would look like a mana place to stand. We read the Torah, Ranger newspaper 18 months ago, Ottomatana said, We want a real presence back where we used to be. That's a place to stand. If you've read a journal YY near Huntley. It's extraordinary. There are, of course, a beautiful locker in town already. There's um, a trustable office already, but of the sort of (coughs) manner and scale and capacity I'm talking about, would need a major uh, base, consolidated base. And I can see all the school kids. From North Island, and ending up there for a tour. I can see university students. I can see all kinds of things to try to do. And if you told the story, that would be here. Which you do now, anyway. You go over there on are very busy, taking by the tours through here, in coordination with this. And the stories you could tell from the last thousand years are unique and they are remarkable. And they're redemptive if this happens. If this is sort of reasonably satisfactory. It's a story to tell the world of recovery and redemption. And the Christian story, right down the middle of this, which I began with this evening, which Alistair Reed says, carefully documented. Could be an audiovisual or an interactive uh, cyberspace type experience. Be. Resurrection and crucifixion. Um, I think something so, you know, extraordinary it would be possible now this will be long, complicated kind of I'm sure there will be ups and downs in the process, but we are really willing and able as a church to be promised to do this at the alms four weeks ago. in front of the tribes and said we are with you so that's that's really good do you we'll have a challenge to a bit or correct something or, or say something? Yeah. I, I think the church mission society could do something straight away uh, <clears throat> I, I put a post on, on the, the CMS website about two years ago Um, It was the Minutes of of Parliament. It was an enabling bill for the Otamata Trust. And in that bill it said that the the main mission of the CMS is for uh, Maori spiritual Mm. instruction, Mm. otherwise the conversion of healing in other countries. From what I've seen of the CMS um, mission, all of it's overseas. I guess. Yes. A of it is here. That's a very good question. Because um, the Church Missionary Society Central Lands Board in the 19th century were Archbishop Brown's board. <coughs> but, as this document says, the CMS today are not legally related to them at all. So it does fall to the wider Anglican so side. Um, you, you can consider that the CMS by uh, They signed the we'll do something about this, and we're hoping to appeal to them, and that is, as a free love gift. They're not legally liable, but we
0: believe that we want to. do yeah, just Yeah, it, there's a spiritual reality as well, of course. Because, you know, one of the motivations, I'm from Decoigne, we felt that God's mission was interrupted to Maori. That was one of our primary concerns. just mana, land, uh, place to stand true. But one of our primary concerns was that God's mission was interrupted. We were here the other week with Furi uh, Koku from uh, And he explained how lost his people were. I was with a group of young missionary students and he said, look, tell you young people, get them out, tell them about Jesus. Give them hope again. And I think that's one of our primary concerns, which you point yes, history, truth, justice, reconciliation, but also the spiritual reality. Yeah. See Maori restored to that faith. And that's, <coughs> grand that remember okay. She did. One of our she did.
1: And uh, that is certainly uh, 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 the members of the Alternative Trust board I know seem to be seem be people of great faith. <coughs> for that reason too. Mm-hmm. And that's why Charlotte Brown and Alfred Brown agreed. You could you could that's why I think if, if this was established a cyberspace or interactive educational interest centre about the gospel and heritage. right through the middle of this, and the Bible, as I'm trying to show tonight, right through the whole, down the middle of the whole thing, They could be offered centrally. We had a debate with the uh, Museum of Waitangi because they initially put up a version of the Waitangi story which left out Henry Williams's gospel based ethic. Mm. It, Williams did what he did with all the complications and limitations of the time because he believed the Maori Christian state was possible with like a Waka'ala uh, partner. And uh, that theological or mission imperative was written out of the museum story. It's been restored a bit now by Maori. Christian challenges. But you have to be very careful that it's fashionable to say you know, the missionaries are either bad or irrelevant, when in fact they were mostly people of good faith who prayed their way through the complex circumstances of the And So I think from a Christian point of view, Christian investment in the cultural sector would be very appropriate.
0: what
1: to say um with Buddy Macari coming to talk this yes, week it would no, be very yeah. appropriate to see what Buddy um, <coughs> yeah. um, has to say about the resonating here which uh looked at really he's a descendant of one of the people who mm-hmm. force here yes. and his book which is over in the mm-hmm. four um is well worth a read. Yeah. I know it's been contested and an we'll alternative the book is circulated but if you look at the uh, White County Tribunal documents so far, which are uh, with Sirigi Jury and other people like that, not um, and real scholars, academics, historians. I just say like personally, I think Buddy uh, and his book are a very authentic read, in my view. Maybe some areas where he could be challenged a, a little bit by some historians, but I, the, the church through the General Senate, the Standing Committee, would. Accept the the main thesis of this book, and certainly the facts, the historical documents he's got, I think. We would stand with him in that version of the events. And I think um, one of the critiques has been the Jewish Missionary Society in the 19th century were completely naive, or uh, covert land grabbers, or Sphere. Complex, yes, mm. but, uh, but I think good. so. I, I would. I think it's good to have a next time because there's a huge respect for this book. And if you went to
0: the partnership with another person who's a military mm. historian, who's here, right here. be very careful what you say about
1: this <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for writing. As um, I think at we'll the beginning of the we it talks about the military, historian, strategy, the statement combined with very sort of oral tradition, and uh, the documents you're the same. I think the standing committee would stand with your position. That's, that's <laughs> <the military. laughs> mm-hmm. We want to appeal to their best instincts. Made good faith, and uh, I mean, many of them are our colleagues and oh, friends, too, yeah. and some of our elegants. <laughs> so, um, we're going in positive, we're going yeah. in saying, Let's do something wonderful for children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What about a parent keeps closing its doors? Would that not be acceptable? Well, anything would be um, a locker. Mm-hmm. Anything else that I suppose, uh, it a hot evening and it's, uh, you've been very patient. I'll just finish with the slides that um, some of are have to do. We've of the justice opportunities that I've left everyone. The players, Tarragh City Council already helping with the deal recently over the arms. I thought it was a very good result. Win-win. The Crown. And the Anglican Church, it's the Word the Cross. They on the pole. And Reconciliation, <coughs> based on justice. That's the one of the following leaves, which is designed to honour Maori presence at Te Papa. Te Papa Museum. Mm-hmm, yes. Now, the Waitangi. Waitangi Treaty area of Kapapa. Visual, audiovisual, interactive cyberspace. It's part of the world. It's already there. And wings of earth. Mm. It's a hill flying over in Ohio. Thank you. Thank you.
0: and he's going to talk about uh, how he understands that, and he brings that having uh, been a director of the tribunal, the, yeah, the tribunal. So um, brings a lot of uh, experience. Uh, so Buddy, Buddy is a historian in his own right, and uh, as, as is Cliff. Um, so uh, Buddy going to bring that experience as a So that's next Sunday night at seven o'clock. Um, but I want to thank. David, for being here with us tonight, I've got a copy of that, that book by the, the two authors, Buddy and Flip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a way of saying thank you, and there's a little uh, booty out in there as well just to um, help with travel. travel. Uh, I appreciate the time that you've given to come and talk to us tonight, but more importantly, I appreciate the enormous amount of time that you've given to negotiating to this point. Uh, which I'm sure kind of in easy orientation, so you brought utamata uh, and Tahani Hikinadi to uh, the point where we are um, and where there is ways forward. Uh, and you do that having been someone who's lived here uh, and, and uh, helping the church of this place um, know its place here and it's about God's justice and compassion. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, and I know that you are retired, but uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone is told either. Of the bishops on the other side of the time I say, seem to be busier than when you're actually with the bishop over there. So I uh, appreciate all the time that you are doing I mean, for, for this corporate. So um, please accept this on the I just want yeah, to let people know that we've got the other election coming up someday. Thank you. Sir.